Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Coming up, Aaron O'Toole unveils the Conservative Climate Plan. Is it just a carbon tax by another name? Also, the latest in the perpetually moving goalposts of public health and the never-ending lockdown. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is the Andrew Lawton Show here on True North on Friday, April 16th, 2021. Very great to have you aboard the show today, albeit under... Not the best of circumstances. We've talked on this program many times about the carbon tax and how even though it was declared constitutional a few weeks ago, it became a political issue then. One for the voters to decide rather than the courts whether Canadians should be stuck with it. And it was very important along that vein for there to be opposition to the carbon tax, to Justin Trudeau's carbon tax, but even to a carbon tax more generally heading into the next election. That moment is over. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole has come out with a carbon tax that rivals that of Justin Trudeau. He says it's not a tax, but that's also what the Liberals said about theirs. It is the Conservative Party of Canada's 15-page climate change platform, which, and I'm going to try to explain this, but I, I was reading it and thought it sounded ridiculous. When I tried saying it out loud to a friend yesterday, it sounded more ridiculous. The premise of it is that every time you buy something like fuel or maybe natural gas, every time you buy hydrocarbon-based fuel, money that you are putting towards the carbon tax, basically, instead goes towards a personal carbon savings account, which you can draw from. It's not the government's money, necessarily. You can draw from it, but only when you want to buy green things. So if you want to go and use the money in your personal low-carbon savings account to buy gas, you can't do that, but you can buy a bus pass, you can buy a, an electric car, you can buy a bicycle, you can buy something to retrofit your home and, and make it more green. So it's basically the government taking your money, putting it into a, an account that it says is yours, but not one that you are allowed to use as though it's your money. And one of the things, if you look at how the conservatives have defined this, they actually compare it to a loyalty or rewards program. So for lack of a better term, we're going to call these things O'Toole bucks. So the conservative government under Aaron O'Toole would, uh, when you're uh, at the gas station and you're filling up your car, would take a percentage of what you pay, but it's not taxes. No, no, no. You are instead just putting your money into your O'Toole bucks account. And when you decide you want to buy a Tesla because you're so tired of having to pay for O'Toole bucks, you can withdraw your O'Toole bucks and then you can put them towards your tax. Tesla. Now, I don't know how much people are going to be making over the course of a year. I know that the carbon tax rebate that Justin Trudeau gives you is money that you actually, for whatever whatever flaws you think the Trudeau carbon tax has, the rebate money they give you is yours to spend however you want. And I think when I got my first climate action incentive, I think I went and used it to fill up my car, partially for irony and partially because, hey, I drive, my tank gets empty, I need to fill it. That is how normal people are in Canada. 
Now, one of the problems with the Trudeau approach to carbon taxes is that if you live in a part of the country where you absolutely need to use your car and you need to use high carbon emission things or what the government claims are, are such, you are then disproportionately penalized. Whereas if you're someone who lives in a small apartment in downtown Toronto, you don't drive anywhere, you're not paying that much into the carbon tax, you get the same amount. Now, Aaron O'Toole's plan is tied to usage, but the perverse aspect of this is that with the Aaron O'Toole, uh, the O'Toole Bucks plan for uh, carbon taxing, you are getting more money back the more money you spend in carbon tax. So the more gas you buy, for example, the more you have to do your green retrofits, to buy your Tesla, to do whatever you want. So in a lot of ways, and this is what the liberals are, are latching onto, it is rewarding the very behavior that it claims to be disincentivizing. Now, here's the thing. I mean, Aaron O'Toole is saying that this is going to do exactly what the Trudeau plan will do as far as reducing emissions, but it's not going to come with the economic cost. This is what Aaron O'Toole said when he was announcing the plan on Thursday. Canada must not ignore the reality of climate change. It is already impacting our ecosystems, hurting our communities, and damaging our infrastructure. Canada's Conservatives will meet our Paris climate commitment and reduce emissions by 2030 to fight climate change and protect our environment. But we won't do it on the backs of working Canadians or by hurting our economy. Canadians can't afford Justin Trudeau's carbon tax hike, and we must rebuild our economy. So Aaron O'Toole says that, yeah, he's still jumping headfirst into this. He wants to tackle the Paris climate targets. He wants to tackle climate change, but he wants to do it in a responsible way. And the O'Toole Bucks model, he thinks, is that way. Here's the thing, though. The government has not acknowledged that its carbon tax is a carbon tax. When the Conservatives were saying it was a tax, the government was saying, no, 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 it's a regulatory charge. And, and this is kind of the same thing that we're seeing from the O'Toole plan. The Conservative defense of this is that it's not a tax because the government isn't able to spend it. They're saying it's not a tax because they're putting it in your personal low-carbon savings account. But I don't really think that adequately neutralizes the tax allegation. Any money that you have to spend on top of the market price of something because the government has made it so that that happens is a tax. And, and maybe I'm taking too simplistic a view here, but I think if you have to spend more for something than you otherwise would if government hadn't put it in, it's a tax. That's the reality. So the other problem with this, and I, and I was hoping to talk about this with Aaron O'Toole, is that he's previously said that he wants to put the provinces front and center. This is a bit of a lengthier exchange, but I, I want you to hear it in full because Aaron O'Toole and I actually fleshed this out at considerable length back in the summer during the independent press gallery fireside chat that I moderated because Aaron O'Toole's plan in his platform had said that he wanted to put a large industrial framework in to go after industrial emitters. And I was wanting to make sure this was not in fact a carbon tax. And it took a little bit of pressing, but he gave a very unequivocal answer ultimately, which was that, no, the carbon tax is over, it's done. And moreover, he said that provinces would not be forced to play ball if they didn't want to with the federal scheme. I want you to listen carefully to this exchange. 
One of the things that most conservatives, I think, can agree on is that the carbon tax is a job killer. I think this is something that everyone on the right tends to get, even many people not on the right. You say in your platform that the carbon tax is gone. You also say you want a national regulatory and pricing scheme on industrial emitters. And your rationale for this has been that you don't want to target individual Canadian families, but rather target the companies themselves. We all know that any cost that a company has to bear gets filtered down. So any tax that's put on a manufacturer or a distributor is something that Canadians are paying. So how can you say you're against the carbon tax when your plan seems to just move the tax to another payer? No, it, there is no tax. There's no federal carbon tax. I will eliminate the carbon tax completely, Andrew. What I've said in terms of the national framework, we have to respect what the provinces are doing now. In BC, there's been the, their provincial carbon tax started by Gordon Campbell. I've talked to him about some of the challenges and problems that were caused, but he explained to me his rationale there. Quebec has a version of a cap and trade system. Alberta, Ontario, my own province has a large emitter strategy just working with emissions of the larger emitters. We need to follow the provinces here because guess what? They have shared jurisdiction on the economy. I've been saying this for years. The Court of Appeal in Alberta in February just supported my view when they said Trudeau's carbon tax is unconstitutional. We actually have to say on the federal government, how can we make sure we respect the different approach within a national framework and say this is how we're going to reduce emissions? Not with a tax, but with partnering with the provinces to get their emissions down. But does your platform, or does it not, say pricing? Because the provinces are pricing. But you say national pricing. So is there going, can you say that there is not going to be any federal price on carbon at a federal level for anyone, whether it's a family or an industrial emitter? The provinces will be in the driver's seat. So I will respect what they do. But what if a province says they don't want any part of it? A provincial government in some province says we don't believe that we need to deal with emissions, we don't believe in a carbon tax. Does inaction fit into that national framework if that's what a province chooses? If that's what the province chooses, yes. So again, and I, I gave him a scenario which may not be a realistic one, but it still is nonetheless a possibility that a province says we don't want to play ball, we don't want to have this uh, carbon tax or this framework in any way. And he said, yeah, if that's what a province wants, that is its right. Well, the new plan, and I, I looked through it considerably, I've read it, I think, about three times now, it makes repeated references to working with provinces and having provinces' interests represented, but this is a national program. This is a national plan. It's very difficult to see how a province could opt out with what the Conservatives have said about this plan. And the Conservative Party of Canada sent some additional information to media about it, and they said this, it will, quote, be a national program, but provinces will be able to apply to have a program of their own considered equivalent. Considered equivalent. So the best thing that a province could do is hope that if it has a made-in-Alberta or made-in-BC or made-in-Saskatchewan approach to the carbon tax, that the Conservatives under Aaron O'Toole would allow it to exist. This is a complete reversal from what's available now of what Aaron O'Toole said in the summer about how provinces will have the right to do this. 
And I want to see some more clarity on this. I have asked Aaron O'Toole's office for an interview. I want to hear about this plan. I want to get all the details about it. That invitation is standing still. I would happily talk to Aaron O'Toole at any point about this or other things, but in particular this, because I have not seen a single message of support for this from a conservative supporter in the last 24 or however many hours since it was unveiled. I've seen some caucus members defend it, but I've not seen a single grassroots conservative say, yeah, you know what? I think this is a good idea. Uh, some people are resigned to accept that, well, the conservatives might need to have a climate change plan. And therein lies the question. If this is just about neutralizing the issue so that the liberals can't say they don't have a plan, then this is, I think, a pretty brazen way of doing that. Not a particularly good way. If it is actually about running into the election with gusto, saying we're the people that are going to cut emissions while not damaging the economy, you're never going to win on the left's turf. You're never going to win on the if the election is about the environment. The liberals have that in the bag. There are four other parties that are running to be the same voice on that. The only way you can win as conservatives is by bringing the argument to a different terrain. And this is a mistake that conservatives make time and time again. So now we have Aaron O'Toole saying he's running on this plan that is not a carbon tax and that the actual carbon tax that Trudeau is doing, which has the same functional effect is gone. I want to break this down with Aaron Woodrick, who is the federal director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and joins me now. Aaron, good to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. You and I spoke a couple of weeks back, I think it was, when the Supreme Court of Canada ruled that the Trudeau carbon tax was in fact constitutional. And I think the prevailing sentiment of our discussion and other areas in which I discussed this on the show was that now it is a political issue. So you need a, a strong opposition from a political party. And the only party that's been saying no to the carbon tax is the Conservative Party under Aaron O'Toole. Does this plan that Aaron O'Toole put forward yesterday consequently in your mind, uh, mean an end to the carbon tax? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, if anything, it's uh, he's essentially saying he has now taken the side of uh, every other party in supporting a carbon tax. I mean, this is a this is a man that explicitly promised that he would not have a carbon tax. They're playing the same kind of word games that the Liberals are, saying, well, it's not a tax, it's a levy. Look, you can call it whatever you want. If you are taking money from people by force of government, so they can't spend it on what they want to spend it on, that's a tax. Um, so they can give it whatever name they want and, and, and use euphemisms just like the Trudeau Liberals. But the reality is they flip-flopped on this. They have now switched sides. And, uh, you know, they've got some explaining to do, given they have for years railed against exactly the sort of thing they're now proposing. The tax definition is interesting, and this actually came up with the Trudeau carbon tax, because in that case, the Trudeau government uh, said in court and, and said in, in the media that it wasn't a tax, and the conservatives said it was. The conservatives at the time said, we don't buy that, you know, verbal gymnastics that you're doing here. If you're taking money from people, it's a tax. But that doesn't seem to be the case anymore. Well, people are getting, uh, people are getting really caught up in these semantics. But again, the point I always make is, uh, a lot of people try and focus on what the money is used for in, in sort of uh, determining whether or not it's a tax. I mm -hmm. don't view it that way. I think a lot of people, the relevant point for most people is that was money I had that I could spend on whatever I wanted, and now I don't have it. So it doesn't matter if I'm getting it, you know, back in uh, O'Toole bucks or if I'm getting, uh, you know, um, a services or if I'm getting something else. I don't have that money to do what I wanted with. So 
that's the relevant point. I think it's too cute. Uh, it was cute when the liberals did it, and now it's the same with the conservatives. I think most people roll their eyes at the idea that you can just not label it a tax and somehow it will not function as a tax on people. I should, you know, put so many asterisks in front of this to establish that I, I'm not defending the liberals. But one thing I will say is that with the Trudeau carbon tax, the climate action incentive rebate that they gave, which I, I summarily mocked when it was introduced because you're trying to bribe people with their own money. But at least when I cashed my climate action incentive check, I could spend it on whatever I wanted. O'Toole bucks are not fungible in the same way. Well, that's frankly the danger that I think Mr. O'Toole has raised here is that he suddenly, for some people, made the Trudeau rebates look nice by comparison, right? If if they were struggling to come up with a way to compete with Mr. Trudeau and they basically landed on coupons or loyalty points instead of cash, I mean, look, people like loyalty points, but they'd rather have cash given the choice. And again, I know that, uh, that Mr. O'Toole says, well, you know, Mr. Trudeau may keep that money. Well, guess what? You just broke a promise, too. So how do we know that you might not change your mind on things later on as well? I want to go back to, and, and you mentioned that he made a promise. He, he didn't just say it in interviews with me, but, but I know actually signed a pledge with your organization, the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. And, and I want to put that photo up on the screen for people to see. I, I know you can't make out the text of it, but basically, what was that pledge? Yeah, the pledge was to scrap the Trudeau carbon tax and to not introduce a similar carbon tax or a cap and trade system. So, you know, this is a pretty explicit that he has reversed himself on that. He's broken that pledge. Um, and look, I think that's something that he's going to have to answer for with uh, the people who supported him and support him now. I know the loyalty program is the, if you can even call it that, is the main uh, impetus behind this plan. But but there were some other things buried in there that I, I thought were equally concerning. One that jumped out at me, uh, and partially for personal reasons, because, you know, covering the election campaign had me flying all over the country in, in 2019, back when that was allowed. Uh, it says, studying the potential for introducing new taxes on frequent flyers, non-electric luxury vehicles, and second homes to deter activities that hurt the environment. Now, obviously, this is kind of a, a wink wink in a way to the left, because these are activities that are associated with with wealth and elite status and all of these things. But at the same time, this is a, a very ostentatious usage of the word tax. So they're quite open about the fact that if you have a second home, which sounds like something that is a, a privilege for the 1%, but there are a lot of middle class families that have family cottages or people that may have a, an, a, a condo that they rent out and, and are not by any means wealthy, uh, they may be facing new taxes. Yeah, well, and that's our concern as an organization that fights for lower taxation is that they've opened the door wide open to all kinds of potential new taxes and new increases for people. Look, we, we, we never got into these debates because we're against fighting climate change. What we're against is crippling people and businesses and families with higher costs, with newer taxes. So we're not fussy. You know, if, if the end result of a new measure is that it, it hammers families or businesses with higher costs, then we're against it because we think that's damaging. And frankly, especially in the case of these carbon taxes, we're not seeing the upside. I mean, everybody points to British Columbia as this as the as the uh, sort of golden example. Well, they've had a carbon tax there for years mm -hmm. and emissions have not gone down. 
One thing uh, as well that was a problem with the national carbon tax, in addition to the tax part, was the national part. And this was something that was rammed down the throats of provinces, which was really the thrust behind the challenges in court, one of which ended up uh, being found unconstitutional in, in Alberta. But I, I have to ask about this because I, I've read through this and there are numerous references to working with provinces, but it still is a national program. And I, and I think in a lot of ways, even more national than the Trudeau uh, pr approach, the Greenhouse Gas Pollution Pricing Act, because that act says if a province meets this emissions reduction standard, the federal one doesn't kick in. Whereas all that I'm seeing here is that provinces can apply, basically, to have their programs recognized as equivalent. And I, I don't know if you've had any conversations or have looked into this and, and found any areas where provinces do have explicit autonomy within this plan. No, I mean, I, I do recall Mr. O'Toole saying, you know, that it's going to be a partnership and then it's, you know, they're going to work with the provinces. So it sounds like they want to be flexible on it. But, you know, that's the same thing that Mr. Trudeau said and he put in a backstop. So if he's going to simply replace one backstop, the, the, the rebate backstop with the loyalty points backstop, I mean, it's, it's essentially the same. It is still Ottawa dictating terms to the provinces. Aaron Woodrick, Federal Director for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Not, not the greatest day for, for people like you and I who have been advocating against the carbon tax for some time, you especially, but I appreciate you joining me nonetheless. Yeah, thanks for having me, Andrew. Thanks again to Aaron Woodrick for coming on. And like I said, I mean, the more I talk about this, the weirder it sounds. Because as Aaron said, th this is not just about giving people cash. I mean, the conservatives are couching it in that language with this low carbon savings account. But this is a loyalty plan. So everyone's going to have a, an O'Toole Bucks card of some kind. And I want to say, by the way, I the Canadian Taxpayers Federation and I came up with that separately. Uh, so it works out well for a nice synchronicity that we both uh, naturally ended up on, on O'Toole Bucks as the name for this plan. But uh, the whole point of this is that you are, when you go and buy gas, going to have to somehow find a way to tell the government that you've amassed O'Toole Bucks that are then going to convert to your account. So, like, literally, is everyone going to just have to, like, walk around with, like, an O'Toole Bucks card? I have no idea. And then when you want to redeem them, now, all of a sudden, we have to have a government bureaucracy that is defining what constitutes a green purchase. So if you want a bicycle, well, that's a green per, per, uh, purchase. If you want a Hummer, it's not. If you want to do a home renovation and you want to buy uh, energy-efficient windows, that might be one, or an energy-efficient furnace they gave it as, as an example. So, But now, all of a sudden, that means that you're going to have individual business owners, like some you know, local HVAC technician in you know, Lloydminster, Alberta, or Lloydminster, Saskatchewan, for that matter, uh, that has to uh, find a way to redeem Toolbox. And, and I could see like a black market for this form very easily where uh, someone says, well, you know, the uh, O'Toole bucks are non-fungible currency, but I'll give you, you know, 80%, uh, uh, you know, I'll give you eight Canadian dollars for 10 O'Toole bucks. And, you know, I'll say that I put some windows in like, I, and it's not to say that you want to define a program's uh, infrastructure or logistics by the worst examples of it, but you have to think this through. And I have no idea how this is going to be enforced. Right now, when I swipe my credit card at the gas station, my credit card company knows and gives me points based on buying gas that are different than points based on buying something else. But the problem with that is that it doesn't know how many liters I'm buying. It just knows the dollar value. 
So how are the consortium of financial service providers that the conservative plan says could run this going to know how many leaders you're buying and therefore how many O'Toole bucks you are eligible for? And again, the I, I don't want to get hung up too much on the details here because the big picture is that this is money that the government is taking from you it is a tax, even if they're putting it in loyalty points in a separate account that you can use. If you can only use that for things they tell you you can use it for, it is, in fact, a tax. And if it is a tax, the conservatives have to own it and explain why they have so drastically changed their mind from what wasn't just a mild opposition they had, but something that in a previous time they would go to war over and now are just going along with. When we come back in a couple of moments, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. Stay with me. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Welcome back to The Andrew Lawton Show. Just on an amusing note, CBC had done up a story about the conservative climate plan. CBC actually broke it before the conservatives did, which uh, goes down that road of why conservatives always leak things to CBC. You know they're hostile, but this is, I think, the problem here, is that the conservatives were trying to show off to the CBC types that they had this big progressive climate plan, and CBC (laughs) said, this story, this is in the corrections section, this story had been updated from an earlier version which stated the Liberals' carbon tax is $30 per ton. In fact, the price went up to $40 per ton April 1st. So my response to that was, well, it's okay, CBC. It's hard to keep up with the Trudeau tax grab. And yeah, when I mentioned earlier that I haven't seen any grassroots conservatives support the uh, conservative climate plan, uh, Gerald Butts has. So uh, when you've won Gerald Butts over, you are sure to win over the bulk of the conservative base. That's how it goes, right? Well, in any case, back to the things that have been dominating Canadian news for the last few weeks, but seem to be getting worse and worse. The never-ending lockdown continues. I'm in Ontario, which is uh, basically ground zero of the never-ending lockdown. We don't have a curfew like our friends in Quebec do just yet, although it's something that seems to be perennially on the discussion table among Ontario's conservative government. Even places like Alberta, which have in the past been saying that we're open for business, are drifting back into lockdown mindsets and restriction mindsets. And the carrot that the government has been dangling in front of voters since the very beginning of this pandemic, well, not the very beginning. At first, it was two weeks to flatten the curve and then two weeks more and then hang on, let's just get past Easter. And then it was okay until there's a vaccine. Well, the vaccine's here. And even if it is coming pretty slowly, and even if a lot of people still have questions about when and how they'll be able to get it, the vaccine was promised by the government as being the antidote to lockdowns and restrictions. Well, enter Justin Trudeau. I think it's really important that we work from uh, facts and understanding of the science around things. Uh, We know, for example, that the UK is ahead of just about everybody else on vaccinations, and yet they maintain uh, very strong restrictions and are facing a very serious third wave. Vaccinations on their own are not enough to keep us safe. We need to engage in the right kinds of behaviors, do things that the Conservatives aren't always good at, like wearing masks, keeping distances, and obeying public health rules. 
Now that clip of Justin Trudeau has been summarily mocked all around the world. Tucker Carlson did a lengthy segment on Justin Trudeau's mishandling of this in which he played that clip and again raised the obvious question of what is then the point? What is then the point? If you say the Canadians are doomed to a life with mask mandates and lockdowns and other restrictions, even with being vaccinated, what is the whole point of getting a vaccine? You're either saying that the vaccine is ineffective or you are saying that it doesn't matter and that you like exacting this control over the population, which is precisely what anti-lockdown advocates have been saying since the very beginning of this. And I do believe that the people who are open to lockdowns that aren't dogmatically in favor of them are very much moving away from that position. I, I've seen a, as governments plunge people into third lockdowns, more and more people who are not conservative or not even political start to say, hang on, this isn't right. I have done my part. I've done everything you've asked of me. I've you know, gotten the vaccine if I'm eligible. I've closed my business once. I've closed it twice. And people are saying, what gives? So now when they hear the government, be, be, remember that some businesses cannot exist with the restrictions. Restaurants cannot turn a huge profit when they have to take out half the tables in them. Church attendance is already something that is under strain. Churches cannot make a lot of money in contributions if people are not in the pews and actually contributing and putting into the collection plates. There are lots of other examples of where businesses, institutions, agencies cannot survive under their modified reopenings. That's if they're even allowed to be open in modified form, which is not something that can be taken for granted in this day and age. So when everyone is looking at the government and then Justin Trudeau gets up there and says, ah, well, even with the vaccine, doesn't really matter. Now, I think part of that is that he's trying to deflect from the fact that most people in this country are not fully vaccinated. I think Canada's uh, like like Canada likes to look at the percentage of people that have their first dose of a vaccine, which is in and of itself not worth writing home about. But for fully vaccinated, Canada is sitting at, I think, like 2.2%, maybe 2.5% as of the time this comes out. And that means that 90, 97 plus percent of Canadians are not immune in the sense of what the government has previously stated is its target for immunity and what in the United States the CDC is saying means you can go around and walk free what's allowing the United Kingdom to open up so when Trudeau says that the UK is heading into a dangerous third wave even with vaccines well that's not what the numbers are saying no, just look at that chart. And Boris Johnson has claimed that lockdowns, not vaccines, were what saved people, which is in and of itself a load of bunk. But the UK has people out in pubs, partying in the streets, hanging out, and they are very safe if you look at the numbers. So the reason I bring all of this up is because there's more and more, I think, of a shift towards a lot of the concerns that anti-lockdown advocates who were derided as fringe were bringing up months ago. The End the Lockdowns Caucus, a, a movement of federal, provincial, and municipal current and former politicians, I've talked about it before, they had a press conference on Parliament Hill Thursday in which independent MP Derek Sloan, independent Ontario MPP Randy Hillier, Pastor Michael Thiessen, and former uh, MP and now uh, PPC leader Maxime Bernier talked about what they see as being the greatest threat to Canadians right now. And it wasn't just, by the way, COVID, 
but the lockdowns that governments have imposed as a response to COVID. And I asked a question that I thought yielded a very interesting response, which was, this is something that affects everyone. It's not just people on the right that are upset with lockdowns. Why are we not seeing more of a shift towards embracing the End the Lockdowns caucus from people who aren't conservatives? This was the answer I got. Good morning, gentlemen. One thing that I'm seeing just from ordinary Canadians is that there's a lot of uh, opposition to lockdowns coming from people who are not uh, partisan conservatives or, or not even particularly political. And we're seeing this across the spectrum. But I, I noticed that in the end, the lockdowns caucus, it's uh, not just uh, politicians who have uh, been identified with uh, conservatism or, or with uh, right of center movements, but uh, even a, a smaller subset of that. So I, I'm wondering why you're not seeing more support for your cause from politicians that disagree with you on other things, but may agree with you on ending lockdowns. Thank you for that question. You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, a lot of it has to do with party discipline in this country. The majority of people in our uh, federal and provincial parliaments belong to a specific party. And we have a, a very we have a, we have strict discipline here. There's there's an understanding, either implicit or explicit, that you you know you told the party line, and none of the party leaders have decided to uh, uh, you know be against the lockdowns or 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 message on these things. And so I think a lot of people that that have issues or maybe questions are afraid uh, uh, to 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 color outside of the lines. Uh, you know, overall, I think. Um, by leaders and others, it's a it's a it's a failure of courage, a failure of being willing to perhaps stand up and say, "Hey, we made some mistakes. Uh, we've learned. We want to move on." But it's a it's a failure of courage, and I think that that's what Canada needs right now is more courage. I think what Derek gave a a, a good encapsulation there. Uh, I'll just maybe flesh that out a, a tiny bit. Um, the problems that we're facing in our society of the need to conform within society, our political environment is much the same, um, but in a smaller microcosm of the, of the distortions and the perversions, that's what's, hap what's happening. And people in elected office, especially at the federal and the provincial level, um, many of them understand that they're path to re-election is only through a registered uh, political party, and they will not jeopardize their path to re-election, um, even if it means forsaking their children's and their grandchildren's future. They are going along, many of them, knowingly knowing that what we're doing is wrong and casts a significant darkness for our future. The same thing happens, although not quite as clearly identified at the municipal level, but we've seen what has happened with members of the End of Lockdown Caucus at the municipal level who have joined. Stephen Van Leeuwen was ostracized and attempted to be and faced much scorn uh, for joining the End of Lockdown Caucus. He was removed from the position as deputy mayor. Um, we've seen others, uh, Mayor David Blisma from West Lincoln was removed from the COVID Health Committee for joining the End of Lockdown Caucus.
We see this everywhere. COVID is being used to beat people into submission and into conformity. That you, anybody knows, if you want to have honest, truthful, public discussion and discourse, you will pay a price. I'm very thankful that the end of lockdown caucus are strong men and women across this country who know what it is to be Canadian and know that they will, whatever the price that we were asked to pay, that we will pay it because our children and our grandchildren, their future is worth it. Thank you. I thought that was a valid enough answer. There is more than one way to skin a cat, as the expression goes, although I believe cat skinning has been declared a non-essential service in most provinces. So no cat skinning today, and not until we flatten the curve or whatever the case is. And the problem is that you get a lot of people that want the debate to be had in their area and under their uh, concerns specifically. So there were a couple of Alberta MLAs that uh, departed the End the Lockdowns Caucus because they didn't like that Randy Hillier uh, shared a, a comparison to the Nazis. And then you have Roman Baber in Ontario who's trying to do his own thing and taking the government to court and he doesn't want to associate with these people and you've got some left-wing voices that are speaking out against it that don't want to be aligned with conservatives and and ultimately I, I would love to see a cross-partisan array of lawmakers who say, yeah, we may disagree on taxes, on climate change, we may disagree on abortion, we, sure, we may disagree on everything, but we believe that we need to have an evidence-based approach and we want to reopen. I would love to see that. And if the anti-lockdown movement were not fractured in the way that it is now, I think there would be a huge market and a huge appetite for a group like that that no one would be able to ignore. When you've got the call coming from inside all of the houses, not just a group of people that are maligned or cast off by the media and political elites as fringe, but you've got liberals, New Democrats, conservatives, Greens, Bloc Québécois people that are all coming together saying, you know what, we think these lockdowns are not keeping people safe. We think they're causing more harm than good. How could party leaders avoid and ignore that? Because that's a more authentic representation of where Canadians are. To Canadians, just going back to normal life is not a left-right position. So the fact that we've allowed the media to hijack that and make that out to be reckless and fringe is absolutely asinine. And I think what's pushing more and more people to oppose these are stories, just to give a couple of examples. In Ottawa, the medical officer of health is doing an end run around the province and trying to expect masks at city parks. So if you're outside, you're in fresh air where transmission is virtually impossible, you're going to need a mask. And in Ontario, in Toronto specifically, they are putting up caution tape around Trinity Bellwoods Park. The cherry blossoms are about to come to bloom, but oh well, cherry blossoms have also been declared non-essential. So they don't want people enjoying themselves outside having a picnic at this park in Toronto that has become, in a lot of ways, one of the most desirable outdoor locales in Toronto, as we saw last year, because it is so picturesque. But nope, that is no longer allowed as well. It's a, it's not going to be that long until a government bylaw officials are picking off the cherry blossoms because that's the only way that no one is going to be enjoying them. This is what's happening in Ontario. And as egregious as these stories are, I know that every time one of them comes out, it pushes more and more people into the sensible 
disobedience column about what are quite insane restrictions that do nothing for public health, but only embolden the state's control of its citizens. We have to end things here. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the program. We'll be back next week with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you. God bless and good day. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.